0: You're listening to the Trust Issues Podcast. I'm David Puner, a Senior Editorial Manager at CyberArk, the global leader in identity security. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Trust Issues. Today's episode calls for 100% chance of cloud. Organizations view cloud computing as a fresh start, a way, among other things, to leave inefficiencies behind and supercharge innovation, collaboration, and cost savings. But identity and privileged access management practices that worked in traditional environments won't fly here and must evolve to address new environments, roles, and circumstances. But that doesn't mean planning for every possible cybersecurity scenario. That's impossible. Instead, it's about finding a practical and intelligent way to limit access across your cloud estate to protect what matters most. And that brings us to today's guest, Charles Chu, who's CyberArk's general manager of cloud security and speaks intelligently about all things cloud security and makes a compelling case for zero standing privileges. As you'll hear, Charles has been on the cloud forefront for the past decade or so, and he came over to CyberArk from AWS about a year ago. We take a dive into cloud security access, talking about the concept of zero standing privileges as a holistic context-driven approach for securing identities in multi-cloud environments, among lots of other things, like he explains why cloud security does not taste like chicken. Here's my conversation with Charles Chu. Thanks for pulling it down or streaming it from the cloud. Charles Chu, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Great to be here. You are CyberArk's general manager of cloud security, and you've been with the company looks like just around a a year at this point when we're recording, which is in the the beginning of October. Is that uh, that all right? Yep. That's, that's right. Been here since September of 2022. As CyberArk's general manager of cloud security, w- what do you do and, and what led you to this current role? What did you do before CyberArk?
1: Well, Matt, our CEO, may argue that I'm, I don't do much, but <laughs> I, I lead a cross functional team within CyberArk that spans go to market, marketing, sales, product engineering. There's a a group of folks that will report to me. And and we're collectively responsible for the success of CyberArk and bringing cloud identity security to, to our customers. That's what we do. Prior to joining here, I was at AWS for a number of years, working with what AWS calls the customer segments of digital native businesses, So sort of like the Ubers, Grubhub folks of the world, born and always have been in the cloud, as well as ISVs, independent software vendors, software companies just like CyberArk, whether they be entirely cloud-based or more traditional software companies who are moving to the cloud. And before AWS, I spent the bulk of my professional career either building software, leading product management and engineering teams, or hopefully faking building software reasonably well. So that's, that's my background and, and how I got to be here.
0: How long have you been focused on cloud? And when did you know cloud was really gonna be a, a big thing?
1: Probably for the last decade or so, something like that. And I think the arc of my journey is maybe similar to a lot of other people's journeys or roughly parallels the industry as well. So maybe a dozen years ago, I was at IBM at the time and working with our commerce software back in the day and thinking about how we move that commerce stack At the time, IBM had number one market share in commerce software, was the backbone of folks like Target and Staples. And and we were thinking about how to move that entire stack to the cloud. What we would call today something like lift and shift, right? What's the fastest way I can take advantage of, of the elastic properties of the cloud? And then from there, transitioning to building entire SaaS, microservices-based architecture, whether it was at IBM or at Brightcove, which was an online, one of the original online video streaming companies, kind of transitioning into that real world of, of everything is decomposed into a microservice. Um, and, and along the way, in, in leadership positions, you had to start to really think about What's most efficient here, right? What what makes the most sense is it to throw more labor at it? Is it to throw more software at it? And and quite frankly, I embarrassingly admit that some of the mistakes I made are common mistakes that we talk about at CyberArk about what you shouldn't do when it comes to security in the cloud. So I I completely empathize with. A lot of our customers, almost all of our customers who say, yeah, security is great. I 100% want to be more secure. But by the way, I also want to move at the same speed. So you can't slow me down either. But we have to find the right tension point around how to do that without, without slowing down our customers who, who are moving to the cloud because they want increased velocity. We can't
0: be a friction against that. So what shouldn't you do when it comes to cloud security? I definitely want to get, want to get back to that soon, but I think in order to sort of build the, build the cloud story here to better understand cloud security, it seems like an important place to start is the actual cloud itself, which we've of course already started to talk about. How is the cloud an opportunity for organizations? It may seem obvious, but I think it's probably important to, to level set here at the, the top of the conversation. Many companies are multi-cloud.
1: The big three are Amazon, Microsoft Azure, and the Google Cloud Platform, GCP. Collectively, they have over 1,400 native services that they provide with, you know, I think slightly over 40,000 different access controls, so that by itself is, is pretty daunting. If we think of the arc of, of maturity, one could reasonably argue public service number one was AWS's storage service, right? Now commonly called S3, right? One could say it's the world's biggest hard drive, right? Just whatever you want to store, put it up there. From that humble beginning, the 1400 today are this incredible array of really applications, which I think people, some people, may not actually understand, right? People still have this like 2010 construct of it's an it's IaaS infrastructure as a service, or it's PaaS platform as a service, or it's SaaS. And the reality is all three are mixed today, right? Very few people have an IaaS, infrastructure as a service, where it is bare metal in the cloud and you're responsible for scaling it 100%. That's infrastructure as a service. It's all a mix. I'll I'll give you a simple example. You can do a Google search and find a commercial workflow engine right? Pretty straightforward, right? It's a building block of an application. You can go to the GCP, Azure, or AWS console, and you can rent a workflow engine. There's no neon sign that says, hey, this is SaaS. This is a SaaS application, right? There's no neon sign that says, this is an incredibly sophisticated machine learning engine, or more traditional techy tools like, hey, this is an ETL pipeline that you can now rent or a CICD pipeline or a message queuing engine. And I'll, I'll sort of stop, right? But I, I think you kind of get the point. It's incredibly complicated. It is an IaaS, a PaaS, and a SaaS all at the same time, which makes it all the more important, right? Because it's not clear when you log in to like an Azure console, like what is it? Right. Is it, is it a SaaS service or is it not? Right. And, and I think that's one of the challenges facing our customers because anyone who can log in to a cloud console has access to those 1400 services and, and whatever the n squared minus one is on that in terms of accommodation, right? It's pretty sophisticated stuff.
0: And then, so how does entitlement sprawl? figure into that 1400 in that type of
1: environment not only can you not define neatly the draw these boundaries of who should be able to do what the old lines of like who's an admin and who's a user completely disappear right in in that prior example the most basic Task someone can do is log into AWS and like provision an S3 bucket and like dump files there. And on prem world, it's the equivalent of someone breaking into your data center, like wheeling a trolley with a rack on it, sticking hard drives into that rack, like plugging Ethernet cable into that rack, right? Allowing them network access. Right? like If you kind of think of what's actually going on, that user is an admin and that admin is a user, that challenge is when you talk about entitlements is, well, who's allowed to do that and who's not? Well, I guess everybody's allowed to go do that. And, and the way the CSPs work is an identity is an identity. They don't care if you're a human being or a microservice or whatever you are, right? And identity is an identity. And so the entitlements are hard because like, you can't tell a developer not to do their job. If you were my boss and I was a developer and I told you like, hey, I want to take 10 people off to the side, a couple of scrum teams, and I want to go create like a workflow service for us to use, you'd probably look at me and say, why would you waste six months and and 10 people to go do that? And, And here's how it loops back to your entitlement question. Like, In order for me to do my job, you can't limit my ability to scan the environment of what's available and what all of the services are that i can explore and take advantage of right because then you're intrinsically limiting the value of the cloud in time and velocity you know to the
0: company let's shift over to the matrix for a moment earlier this year you wrote a blog the intro to the blog began with the movie the original matrix where well, I'll let you. I'll let you tell it, but it has to do with with everything tasting like chicken, and that led you to talking about the human tendency to equate new things to things we already know. All this is a long way of getting to how is cloud security different from traditional security, and what's it all have to do with the Matrix and chicken? Why doesn't <laughs> cloud security taste like chicken?
1: Well, the the reference is to the movie The Matrix, the the original Matrix, where a group of them are sitting in that like really dungy, grimy kitchen and they're like they're eating this oozy gray slop. And like, what does it taste like? Well, it tastes like chicken, right? Everything tastes like chicken. And, and look, there's, there's a human tendency to try to recast every new thing in the context of something that we already know lots of friends who've grown up in the Western world, right? What does tofu taste like? Well, tofu kind of tastes like chicken, right? Whereas if you were going to ask my grandmother who was born and raised in China, what's tofu taste like? She'd look at you like, tofu tastes like tofu, dude. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> tofu doesn't yeah. taste like chicken. Tofu uh-huh. tastes like tofu, right? Because she learned it and interprets it for what it is. So when we think about the cloud, it's not helpful to always try to find something that you're comfortable with. It's, it's more helpful to think of it as a blank slate. Like we just talked about like 1400 native services, everything from EC2 auto scaling compute to BigQuery, big data analytics, machine learning, AI in the middle that you can rent and be using in literally like seconds or minutes, right? There's nothing like that on-prem. Right, right. Right? And so just because you log in to an Azure console doesn't mean you're logging into a static version of Windows that you had 20 years ago, and you can use like six well-manicured Windows admin roles to go manage hundreds of Azure services that are getting updates daily. And tomorrow, there may be three more, right? So that type of dynamic environment really calls for something different. And and if I may, the, the way that we thought about it was there's an opportunity to kind of improve on that. So the way that we think that we've improved on that is with this concept of zero standing privilege. So rather than having this dated concept of, I know who Charles Chu is, and Charles Chu has the set of privileges, entitlements, access, whatever you want to call it, I can look in the directory and I know Charles is there, but he's allowed to do nothing, like literally zero standing privileges, right? That is now possible in a cloud environment. It wasn't possible in Linux or Windows or an ERP application or whatever. So now what we're able to do is control the time that Charles has access. And depending on what he wants to do, and he's approved to do it, be selective for the next 60 minutes, he has super admin rights to go do something, right? But then at the end of that 60 minutes, we're going to delete his entitlements completely from the system. So if a bad actor were to steal his credentials, so what, right? Logs in, can't see anything, not able to read, write, view, you know, anything.
0: So how does zero standing privilege differ from just-in-time access or work in tandem with just-in-time access? So it's a
1: form of just-in-time. Gartner has a nice piece on it. Think of three layers of a pyramid. So at the bottom, there's standing access. That's basically what you and I have when we log in and check our email every day, right? Like knows who we are. What we're allowed to do or not to do. That's standing access. There's this middle tier that is just in time. So just in time is in in a, like kind of a funny way, like this cool modern term for what CyberArk has been doing for years with PAM, Privileged Access Management, right? I, I'm allowed to do a certain number of things for a fixed amount of time. But that ID still exists in the system, right? I just have very tightly controlled access to use it. And when I use it, I only can use it for a certain amount of time. So that's just in time. So that's the second tier. The top tier of the pyramid is zero standing privilege, which is on the fly. Not only will I provision privilege, it's the combination of the standing access and the just-in-time. So it's on the fly, I will provision what this user is allowed to do, and at the end of that time, I will delete it. So it's, it's the highest tier. You're removing the standing access altogether, and you're also
0: um, limiting the, the time that someone
1: has to, to use those privileges.
0: So when you talk about that someone or that individual, we're obviously we're talking about human identity and there's obviously human identity and non-human identity, lots of non-human identity in fact. That's right. How does, I mean, we already have talked a little bit about entitlements and entitlement sprawl, but how does identity figure into the, the cloud, the cloud architecture challenge on a broad scale? Great question. I think people
1: mix up like a few things. So I liken it to say like a car factory, right? The security model that you would have for the workers who come in every day to build the car is fundamentally different than the security model that you build into the car that rolls off the end of the production line. Okay. right? They obviously they meet in the factory, right? The car's in the factory, the people are in the factory. But how you think about securing the workers versus the cars that they're building are are very different. So that's sort of one piece of clarification there. So mostly what we've been talking about has been human identity, but securing the application or the systems that people have access to, that is typically done with secrets right? So secrets are certificates, they're X.509 certificates, tokens, like there's a myriad of different ways that one can think about a secret, including passwords for humans, right? Those are also secrets. Humans have lots of different circumstances that we need to deal with. So we, at CyberArk, we think about this in terms of kind of what do people actually need to do and how's it going to be used? Right. So me as an individual, I may come in and you may give me pretty broad access, but a very limited constrained environment for me to do my job as a developer. Right. You may say, dude, like you can do, you can do and see a lot of stuff in pre-prod for 16 hours a day. Cause you're a hardworking guy, right? Go, go, write fabulous code, go make me faster by checking out the newest and coolest service available on GCP, that could be a circumstance for my role. I could also have a role as the poor dude who's on call as the on-call engineer over a weekend. And if our consumer banking portal goes down or a movie stops streaming or whatever it is, right? Like the yogurt has hit the fan, right? Like I get paged, I come in, and now the circumstances changed. Right now you're like, it's Christmas, people are withdrawing and depositing money, and like we gonna need to get our consumer banking portal up and running. And now I need to go in everywhere and debug and find where the problem is and go fix it. And now I have these expansive privileges in production to go do a bunch of things. That's on the human side. In the world of the cloud, it's incredibly low volume. There's a fixed number of employees, whether you have 10 or 1,000 or 10,000, it's actually a relatively small number of people that you need to deal with. Now you compare that to the cloud and whether it's an application or a microservice, there's no change in circumstance that would say that like, my generic workflow engine should ever be allowed to go issue a credit for Charles Chu for $500. That access to that service, that condition will never change, right? So unlike a human who may, hey, David's not well, I got to cover him for an afternoon. So now I need to be able to like see and do the things that David can do for an afternoon or someone's on paternity, right? Like there's lots of human circumstances and conditions that change. Not true in, in the non-human world. Things are very black and white. Right? You're either allowed to do something or you're not allowed to do something. The scale is hugely different, right? People go to the cloud because it's hugely elastic, right? You don't have a fixed number of a thousand employees just to pick a random number. Like you could have 100 VMs running. You could have a hundred thousand. I had the pleasure of working with one of the larger financial institutions in the world, and they were telling me that their workloads shift between somewhere around 100,000 to a million on average. That's their average range on a daily basis. They don't have 100,000 employees and then a million employees and then back down again. right? So that elastic scale is very unique to non-humans. Right. Like, again, we can't slow down our customers, whether it's the humans or the, the workloads that they build. We can't add security and and be a bottleneck. So i sorry, I, I, I rambled a bit. But the, the point here is when we think about designing identity security and securing humans and non-humans. Um, we would love to have build one thing and right. use it everywhere, <laughs> right? Like as a software company, that would, that would be fantastic, any software company. But the, the requirements are just so vastly different that you, you really have to think about what you're trying to do and what you're trying to secure and, and to bring the right solution to the right
0: situation. You essentially had me hooked at yogurt hits the fan. I, I don't think I've ever heard that, heard that one before. <laughs> Why is identity so often targeted in cloud attacks? It,
1: because it is the single richest asset that there is for an attacker. Um, when an identity is compromised, typically the identity has access to a multitude of different systems and is allowed to do a whole heck of a lot. Um, And not only that as the highest level, even at a low level, um, if you come in, in the case of a most recent reach. The initial penetration point was a low-level identity, and the person surfed around the DevOps environment and found a posting around the four internal DevOps gurus. Cool. Then they targeted you know, one of the four of them and got the breach and gained access to the entire environment. That's why identity is, is the richest thing. Right? Because an API will only be allowed to do a limited number of things. A human you know, will allow you to do a whole heck of a lot of
0: more. It's the single richest asset. I promised you that I would get back to what organizations should and shouldn't do when it comes to cloud security. What should they do and what shouldn't they do? And you, you can take that in either order. It's hard to work in absolutes. Shouldn't is super easy
1: shouldn't do what i've done in the past with embedded credentials in in not thinking seriously about identity or application security so shouldn't is easy i'm the prime example and what did you do that dude like that that i i think that's like three more episodes of your podcast of 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 those things <laughs> i think the 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 should is take things kind of progressively don't think you have to do everything all at once. We've touched on a a, a range of different topics. We kind of preach, one of our mantras is the Hippocratic Oath, right? When it comes to human access, you've got two problems. You've got standing access, and your users are, in many cases, wildly over-entitled right? Because I know that person may do a, a wide range of different things. Like we talked about, I'm a daily developer. Sometimes I'm the on-call engineer, right? It's like kind of hard to figure out. And so most companies just default to like, allow him to do everything, right? So we say split those things apart. Think of it in two ways. You can onboard everyone, into one of the cyber products called secure cloud access, right? That's the thing that does the zero standing privilege and provisions on the fly privileges per session. You can bring everybody on board into that and immediately get the benefit of killing lateral movement, of enforcing and killing any embedded credentials. They may be over entitled for the 60 minutes or the you know 8 hours a day that they're logged in but you've protected yourself from when they're not logged in for that 23 hours a day or the the 16 hours a day when they're not logged in you you can get that benefit immediately without figuring out the perfect level of entitlements. So that, that's what we mean by the Hippocratic Oath, right? Like you, you've done no
0: harm. I'm sure you see organizations in, in various stages here along their, along their cloud journeys. How should organizations tackle cloud security? What should they do first and second and third, really for, for that matter?
1: So I think about it in in a couple of different ways, right? One is more of like this staging, strategic staging, which is what we just talked about, right? Like get zero standing privilege implemented and then start doing like the 80-20 rule of, of driving down your entitlement. That's like kind of a process perspective.
0: What's the, uh, what's the 80-20 rule? The
1: 80-20 rule is, hey, you haven't used these entitlements in the last year right like that allows you to like hack off like huge trunks of entitlements without really getting into the much harder part of like what is it that you do like even the stuff that you have used in the last year should you really be allowed to do that so there's a process and a staging and then there's also a perspective that's related That is, you know, just reducing the surface area. We talked quite a bit using the persona of developers and DevOps people who are people outside of traditional IT. We're a software company, no bones about it, right? Our ratios are very typical for a software company. So we have about 100 people in IT, and we have a little over 1,000 people in product. We're actually a little rich on the, on the product, right? Because we're, we're a product company, and, and we pride ourselves on that. But a 10 to 1 ratio is, is pretty typical, right? And so when I talk about the surface area, if you're a CISO, You can inflict more security measures on your IT department. That gets you to 100 people. But we have over 1,000 people here at CyberArk who log in to a cloud provider every day to do their job. That's what I mean by surface area. Think about covering the 1,000 people especially if you're in a role of like traditional it adding more and more security levels of of identity security to 100 people is a good thing don't don't get me wrong right like like that is a good thing to go do right but but think about is that the first thing that you want to go do make sure that the hundred people are more secure or think about reducing the surface area of the thousand people that you may not necessarily had to account for before.
0: If there's one misconception about cloud security you could clear up in this conversation, what would it be or what what is it?
1: I think the one misconception around cloud security is that it's something that the IT people can take care of. I think IT pay, plays um, a crucial central role, but there are so many more people and identities to go think about. We've talked about developers. To, we've talked about DevOps people. We didn't even talk about like what, what we now call business admins, right? People outside of the IT department who sit in business functional lines, like your entire HR department could have access to an ADP console or a Workday console, like payroll's kind of important, right? <laughs> Employee <laughs> records are, are kind of important, right? Uh-huh. Or, or new cloud identities like your Salesforce admin, right? Not, not the sales person who logs in every day, but whoever administers your, your Salesforce instance has access to your entire customer record and your, your revenue history. And if you're a public company, you can look in Salesforce, if you have high enough admin privileges, like you can predict quarterly results. Like that's, that's a non-traditional IT function that are, are business admin roles. When you think about cloud and cloud security, think more broadly about all, all of the new identities outside of, of IT that now have access to the cloud.
0: And I think that's a great place for us to to wrap this one up. We we we've covered a lot where when it comes to cloud security, maybe 101, 102, a little bit of 103, but there's lots of these particular areas here that we could dive into more deeply. So Charles Chu, thank you very much for coming onto the podcast. And we look forward to having you back in the in the near future. This is obviously a rapidly evolving space and there's lots to talk about. This is great. Thank you for inviting me.
1: Thank you for the opportunity.
0: Thanks for listening to Trust Issues. If you like this episode, please check out our back catalog for more conversations with cyber defenders and protectors. And don't miss new episodes. Make sure you're following us wherever you get your podcasts. And let's see. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, Drop us a line if you feel so inclined. Questions, comments, suggestions, which come to think of it are kind of like comments. Our email address is trustissues, all one word, at cyberarc.com. See you next time.